our peeps online right now as well. We welcome you, and I know that you're at home, and we're praying for you all, and just uh, continue to pray that God just sees us through everything that's going on right now, because He is perfect in all of His ways. That never changes, guys. I, I, I love the fact, man, this morning as we we're praying, it's like, dude, we serve a sovereign God the one who was and is and is to come, the Almighty, the one that's been forever. He lives in the eternal now, and he sees it from beginning to end. And you and I, if you're a believer, get to be called his child. That, does that blow your mind like it blows mine? <laughs> so <clears throat> this morning, I am going to attempt something that I very rarely do on a Sunday morning. And that is cover a full chapter. Yes, yes, yes. I've done it before, but that has been far and few. No, not once. Other times. Uh, but they are far and few between. Uh, Thursday nights, our midweek study is a different story. We're on the OT. We've been going through the book of Hosea, and we're covering the chapter at a time because of the narrative and the way it goes. And so Thursday nights are a little different. Being in the New Testament, it's sometimes really hard to just cover a lot and not just sit on something and camp out somewhere. And so it is hard, but here we've gotten to the book of Acts, where we're at in Acts 24. And from here on out, it's quite possible you might be seeing some more of this full chapters at a time. We have about three more, four more chapters or studies. We'll see. But this one story here, where we're at, I just couldn't break it up somewhere, and there's so much. Now, I know what you guys are going to think, and I'm going to camp out for a little bit, and you're going to go, really? You're going to get done on time? Yes, we will. And if we don't, we'll finish it next week. And so turn, if you will, to Acts chapter 24. I won't read the whole text for your benefit and mind, and mine, but we will read the first nine verses first. We will camp out there for quite a bit. And then we're going to go from 10 to 23, cover that, and then at the end, towards the end of the, of the service, we will cover the rest of the chapter. And so I presume that you are now in chapter 24 of the book of Acts. Let's begin in verse 1. Now after five days, Ananias, a high priest, came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullus. These gave evidence to the governor against Paul. And when he had called, he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusations, saying, See that through you we enjoy great peace, and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight. We accept it always, in all places, most noble Felix, with all thanksgiving. Nevertheless, not to be tedious, to you any further, I beg you hear that I, I beg you to hear your by your courtesy a few words from us, for for we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, and the a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. But the commander, Lysias, came by 
and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. And the Jews also asserted, maintaining that these things were so. Father, we do pray your blessing upon this time that we have. Lord, you've allowed us the privilege, the honor of opening up your word. I pray, God, that I would make sense of it to my brothers and sisters, that their ears would be open to hear what you have. And so we thank you and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so the journey to Rome has begun for Paul. The ball is now rolling, if you will. And Paul had no clue that this would be happening exactly like this. In Acts 20, if you remember, the Lord warned Paul that there would be chains and tribulations awaiting him when he got to Jerusalem. And it happened to him just the way the Lord told them it would in that in getting to Jerusalem, things would happen. And I'll give you some timetables as we get, get going here. But Paul, understand this. He is okay with everything that's going on. He is, he's fine. Because the Lord had already told him and the Lord had already prepared him of the things that would be happening to him, Paul was in agreement was understanding, was not complaining, was not going, oh my gosh, what is going on in my life? He understood that chains and tribulations awaited him. Back in chapter 21, he had gotten to Jerusalem, knowing that the Lord had prepared him. Okay. While in custody... While he is in custody in chapter 23, the Lord ended up showing up to him and confirming to him that he would still make it to Rome. So at this point in what we've already covered in the last few weeks, it didn't matter if Paul got beat up. It didn't matter that they tried to tear him apart with their own hands, basically. It didn't matter that they plotted to kill him. Paul understood this because he, he knew that the Lord had showed him, had revealed to him that he would get to Rome. So, so there's this underlining peace that is in Paul's life because God has ministered to him. And this is where we, with us, we can sometimes freak out because of what's going on in our lives, good or bad. We sometimes freak out going, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And yet there's times that we have to go back and say, what has God shown you through his word? How has he confirmed through his word that he would never leave you or forsake you? And, and then there's times they're going, well, that was last time. I don't know if he's going to do that this time. I don't know if he will come through. And I don't know if you're like me, but I often do that. And I hate it because after the fact, it's like, Lord, I'm so sorry for doubting you. Because we all do that, right? It's like, man, this big old trial, this big old whatever it was, and God saw us through. And then the next one is like, ah, oh, geez, I, I, you came through last time. This is where Paul, again, with everything that's been going on with him, God had prepared him. God had warned him. 
Guys, if we don't know this by now, please understand this, that Jesus told us that in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Why? I have overcome the world. Does that extend 2,000 years later into our lives? Is he, is he just as, as concerned about you and I as he was the disciples back in the day? Absolutely. So nothing has changed. And so when Paul has gotten beaten up, when, he, 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 when they were trying to tear him apart with their own hands, even when, when he gets rescued and, and the commander is, is commanding to, to, for him to be scourged and, and all, Paul's just like, okay, Lord, you told me this was going to happen, but you've also promised Rome, to go to Rome. And I love the fact that in that place of being in prison, in custody, that's when God showed up once again to come right by his side to say, Paul, and I, I remember telling you guys that whole verse, you know, that he confirms what he's going to do. The most important part of that is that Jesus knew his name. He knew him personally. He says, Paul, you have testified of me here in Jerusalem. You will testify in Rome. Nothing was going to stop that, guys. Understand that. What Paul didn't understand, he had no clue that this journey would start from Jerusalem with a caravan, a protection around him of 470 soldiers. That he didn't know. <laughs> But can you imagine as he's being led out, as we covered last week, 470 Roman soldiers are, are surrounding this man as he's now being taken. And we see the text here where he says that they came down from Jerusalem. Again, I've, I've shared with you, everything goes up to Jerusalem. Everything comes down for Jerusalem because of the elevation. Jerusalem being at 2,500 feet, and now they're going down to Caesarea, which was a coastal city. So now they're at sea level. So they came down. And Paul, he gets there. And I could only imagine that either some, some companions were with them in this caravan, or they met him there. They got to him eventually. Paul would now be facing Felix, the governor of the region there in the city of Caesarea. And he would also be facing his accusers. And so after five days, it tells us here. Five days later, the high priest, Ananias, with his party, they get there. And it tells us that they brought with him a certain orator named Tertullus. I don't know if I'm saying the name right, but it sounds good to me. <laughs> Tertullus. They brought this, they brought his, their own lawyer with them. His name, this name Tertullus is a Roman name. And so more than likely, this man is a Roman citizen. Now, many of the Jews, to a large extent, were somewhat ignorant of the Roman laws. And, and also their mode or, or style or method of judicial justice. And so it wasn't out of the ordinary for someone who was a Jew to hire a Roman lawyer to implore them or employ them to come and fight their cause before a Roman governor. It says here that Tertullus was an orator. 
The, the, some of the synonyms that go along with that word orator are speaker, lecturer, presenter, narrator, and spokesman. The Amplified Bible calls him a certain forensic advocate. In other words, he was a fancy-dancy, highfalutin lawyer. <laughs> That's who this guy is. Can only imagine this guy. And these guys, they get there, and it says, these gave evidence to the governor against Paul, that is the high priest, the elders who are with him, and their mouthpiece, this lawyer, who acted as the accuser. He is the one that will manage their case against Paul in, in front of the governor. And so it tells us, and when they called, verse 2, and when he called upon, and when he was called upon, the he here refers to the apostle Paul, not Tertullus. It refers to him who was the accused. He was called upon, brought face to face with those who are now going to accuse him. That is how Roman law worked. You could not be judged or, or accused without facing your accusers and having that opportunity, first and foremost. And so now they have this formal setting of court. Tertullus, it says, began his accusation. So after Paul is brought in, Tertullus, the mouthpiece, begins to, to speak. And so if you will, picture this courtroom setting. Felix, the governor, is sitting on the seat of judgment, all decked out. I could imagine he's decked out. Paul, standing there, not decked out. However he, he was, that's the way he, he was there. The high priest, formally decked out, if you will. The elders, a little less decked out, but decked out nonetheless. And then there's Tertullus who's probably worth his weight in gold the way he looked. Probably his three-piece pinstripe robe, just like slick hair. Dude, you can only imagine this Tertullus, man. He's just showing up and is like, ah. Even Felix going, ah, it's Tertullus, you know. Is <laughs> this guy here, I don't know, maybe not, maybe not. He just seems like, man, oh, man, we've never heard of this guy before, but, man, he's making quite an impression on me at least. That he shows up, man, and he is, I could imagine, just dressed to the nines. And, and he is there. And he begins by saying, Seeing that through you we enjoy a great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight. We accept it always. And in all places, most noble Felix, with all thanksgiving. <laughs> Tertullus begins like most courtroom settings seem buttering up the judge using flattery because you really can't win a case unless you've won over the judge first and foremost and even though it was customary to, to pour it on thick with flattery Tertullus spends as much time buttering this cat up 
than he does in presenting the case. He uses three verses to butter the guy up and four verses to present the case. So he spent as much time kind of, you know, just pouring it on, pouring it on. Granted, at that time frame, Felix had brought a lot of reform to that region. And he brought some peace into that region as well. But he basically had done it by using kind of some bad guys to kind of do his dirty work. It, it was almost as if he, he's hired the mafia to do the security. Understanding that the mafia there or the bad guys would say, hey man, let's take care of it, forget about it. Forget about it, man, it'll get done. It's like, right on, Guido. You take care of what you got to take care of. I just need peace in this area, so again, I need to look good. I'm sure Tertullus must have looked at Felix like this amazing stack of pancakes all buttered up, soaking in, in maple syrup. Dude, I was thinking about all this stuff, <laughs> right? And going, man, oh man, it would have been great for a pancake breakfast today instead of a burrito breakfast. But I didn't think about that. He's telling them and buttering them up, getting all this prepared. He says, hey, and by the way, we don't, want to, we don't want to be tedious here. We don't want to take a lot of your time. No big deal, man. We're going to lay it out before you. And he begins by saying in verse 5, we have found this fellow or this man to be a plague. A creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, and even tried to profane the temple. And so we see that he brings up three different accusations here. A worldwide troublemaker, a ringleader of this sect, and also he had attempted to profane and desecrate the temple. Now, I'm sure that Tertullus thought, as soon as I butter this guy up, as soon as I present the case, it's going to be an open and shut case. We'll be out of here in no time. I'm sure he told the peeps that he was with, hey, guys, we're going to be in and out. It's formality. Man, I know that once I talk to this guy and kind of just build him up a little bit, he's going to go, oh, my goodness. Of course, the guy's guilty. And I'm sure... He thought he was going to impress everyone that was there. And pretty soon, after he got done with the accusations, poor old Paul will be whimpering in the corner, asking for mercy. But he says, the first accusation, this man, we found that this man is a plague. The word plague in the Greek means a disease, pestilence, a pest, a pest. The Amplified puts it like this, a perfect pest, a real plague. The old King James refers to Paul here in this setting as a, a pestilent fellow. Although the old King James translation kind of somewhat weakens the emphasis and the force of the original 
expression in the, in the, in the Greek area. It says uh, that Tertullus did not really mean to say just this pestilent fellow. What he meant to say, and in the Greek the emphasis is the very pestilence itself. That's who this guy is. He's not like a pest. He is a pest. He is a, a, a pestilent fellow. That is who he is. Now, the, com- the word commonly applies to a plague or a pestilence. But when it was applied to a man like this, it was, it was meant that he is one who corrupts the morals of other people. That's who the, this guy is a plague to everyone he comes in contact with. He is turbulent. He is an exciter of sedition, agitation, a rabble-rouser, if you will. That's who this man is. And so in all of this, Tertullus refers, references their belief that Paul was this kind of guy who causes extensive disturbances everywhere he goes. Now, we study his life. And there's always something going on in Paul's life. But most of the time, and we've studied this throughout the book of Acts, Paul didn't go in there going, how can I just rile everybody up here? No, he's not doing that. Again, like I shared last week, he's not a troublemaker. We're not troublemakers. He, we, we're, we're called to be peacemakers. And so Paul, always looking for an angle to bring peace into people's lives, all of a sudden it was the Jews, the religious leaders that always came against them. And so we look at him and go, yeah, everywhere he goes, he's a rabble rouser. It's like, that's not his intention. His intention is to preach the word of God, to bring Jesus to the people. And it's the religious leaders that are always having a hard time. And they are the ones that are causing all this dissent. But they're pointing the finger at him saying, he's a plague. He's the plague. And it's kind of interesting because and I think in this day and age, you and I have become the bad guy, right? We're the plague. We're the plague. <laughs> and we're going, we just want to preach Jesus to people. We just want to have people saved. We want to see good. And yet, as the, the scripture has told us, what good is evil and what evil is good nowadays. And yet, nothing is new, peeps. Because, again, Paul, who always had the heart of sharing the gospel, of seeing people come to eternal life, is being accused of being someone who is an agitator, who, who, who goes around with these causing disturbances all among all everywhere among the Jews he is a creator of dissension a mover of sedition uh, agitation an exciter of tumult now understand Tertullus again he is a sharp lawyer he's dressed the way I, I think he's dressed in this pinstripe whatever he knows exactly what he's doing because he's saying to the judge, to the, to the governor, that this man is preaching doctrine contrary to the laws and the, and, and the customs of Moses. And because of that, he is exciting the Jews and bringing tumult and disorder. If in fact that was true, this would have caught Felix's ears. 
Because he could not have that going on. Because that would mean that Paul is an insurrectionist. He is doing this on purpose, and he's turning people, not just against the Jews, but he will rise up against the Roman government. He will do something that's against the law to them. So Tortullus knows exactly why he's calling them certain things. He understands that. This would mean that Paul was stirring up a revolt, a rebellion, a revolution within the Jewish religion, which was the only organized religion and authorized religion that was allowed by the Romans. And Felix couldn't have that on his watch. And he, and, and he throws out there and he says, man, he is doing this throughout the world. In other words, he's just not doing this in Jerusalem where he got busted. He's doing it throughout all the Roman Empire. Which at this point, you would think that Felix is thinking, wow, how is it I haven't heard about this guy lately? If he's that bad, if he's everywhere causing a ruckus, it would have come to my understanding at one point when we had the governor's convention. It's like, hey, here's Paul, man, watch out for this guy. But again, it doesn't seem like Paul has been on his radar. And so this guy is going, this is who this man is. And you've got to almost take a step back and go, then why was Felix kind of going, huh? The second thing that he accuses them of is being a ringleader. And that word ringleader occurs nowhere else but right here in the New Testament. That's it. The word ringleader is considered to be a military word or term. And it denotes one standing first in the ranks, i.e. a captain champion. One who stands first in an army, a standard bearer, a leader, a commander. And the insinuation was that Paul was so active and prominent in, this, in preaching the gospel that he was the leader, the ringleader the principal person that extended to this sect of the Nazarenes. That is who this guy is. And, and so again, you're thinking, how is it that Felix doesn't really know how bad this guy is? Again, that word, or he calls him the ringleader of the sect. That word sect in the Greek, the Greek word is heresies. And we derive and get our word heresy from that word sect. And it means properly a choice, i.e. specifically a party or abstractly disunion. And that's from the Strong's Concordance. The Thayer's Greek lexicon puts it like this. A body of men separating themselves from others and following their own tenets or a sect, or party. Dissensions arising from diverse, uh, uh, diversities of opinions and aims is the way Thayer's puts that. that that's who these, this is. So being a ringleader of a sect, of a faction, of a party, a school of thought, 
opposite from what they're supposed to be thinking was something that, that, that the, the government didn't take too lightly. Not in the Roman Empire. And, and again, Tertullus knows exactly why he's calling them a ringleader. Because he knew that Felix wouldn't want that hanging over his head without making a judgment against this man. And the fact that he was from the Nazarenes, this was a name that was usually given to the Christians in that day, and it wasn't a compliment. It was in contempt and disdain because they followed this Jesus of Nazareth who was known to be a troublemaker in his own right. <laughs> and then he says in verse 6, and he even tried to profane the temple. He even tried to profane the temple. This is that third charge that he's giving to him, that Paul even tried to profane the temple, which is quite different from the original accusation, if you remember a few weeks ago. The Jews of Asia said and claimed that, that, they, that he also brought Greeks into the temple. That he had defiled their holy place. And they were certain of that. They weren't saying that he tried to do that. They said that he did do that, not tried. And yet Tertullus here is somehow softening this third charge instead of saying, and he de 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 defamed the temple. He didn't say it like that. Because he, they, realized that the original charge from the Asian Jews could never be substantiated if they had to investigate this whole thing. So he tones it down somewhat. Now, when you're looking at this third charge, it seems to be more of a religious matter than a civil matter. And why would he be bringing that up to the Roman governor, given the fact that Rome had given the Jews every authority to execute someone who profaned the temple? But all of these charges have a political overtone. And Felix could not just sweep it under the rug. He had to deal with these things. He would have to make a judgment on this. Tertullus is no fool. He knows exactly what he's doing. He is slick. He is highfalutin, if you will. He understands what he's doing and how, just like most lawyers, man, they have, they have this verbiage that you and I are going, what? <laughs> but he knows exactly why he's pinpointing these three charges and the way he's pinpointing them. Because and then, as he's finishing up, he puts a little cherry on top. Because he says he even tried to profane the temple and we seized him wanting to judge him according to our law. But your commander butted in. Bink. He knew exactly what he was saying. 
We, we could have dealt with this and you would never have heard of this guy and we would have done away with him. But your commander, he came in and he violently took him out of our hands. And so now Tertullus is implicating, incriminating Claudius Lysias, the commander of the guard in Jerusalem, by saying that he took him out of our hands and we would have dealt with him. Because we have that right to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm sure Tertullus at this time, he's probably thinking, man, I am just nailing it. I'm killing it right now. <laughs> he is about to rest his case. And he knows the judgment is forthcoming. It has to be. And so he finishes off by saying... At the, uh, in the middle of verse 8, by examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. As soon as you just kind of, just, just ask him a few questions. Case closed. I put another notch on my belt here on my books, Matt. He, he, he probably thought, man, it is in the bag. Probably looked at the guy's the, the, the Sanhedrin there, the council going, no biggie. <laughs> but with all the flattery that he poured on to Felix, this time it would get him nowhere. Verse 10. Then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, Inasmuch as you know, that as I know that you have been for many years a judge in this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Because, as you may ascertain, that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone nor inciting a crowd either in the synagogue or in the city, cities, in the city. Nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. But this I confess to you, what according, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and men. Now, after many years... I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation, in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with tumult. They, they ought to have been here <clears throat> before you to object if they had anything against me, or else let those who are here themselves Say, if they found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council, unless it is 
for this one statement, which I cried out, standing among them, concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. Then, but when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, When Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision on your case. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for and visit him. So Paul has his day in court. I could only imagine that this fancy, dancy lawyer is stunned that Felix would even give Paul a voice. That he would not just examine him, just give me a yes or no, because you're done. Buckaroo. Once again, I'm reminded how the Holy Spirit continues to work in the life of a believer when, when he is faced with situations that he's going, how did I get here? And we ought, we ought to remember that God just doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves. If you are a believer, he gives you the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and the Holy Spirit is the one that does the work in us and through us, no matter what situation we might find ourselves in. I read this to you last, or a couple of weeks ago, whenever I read this to you, from Matthew chapter 10. And I want to read it once again to remind us that it is the Holy Spirit who does the work in us in difficult times. If we are read up and prayed up and have the, the filling of the Holy Spirit on a continual basis, He goes before us. He comes up behind us. He gives us the words to share. And this is what Jesus told His disciples. In, in Matthew 10, beginning in verse 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you shall speak. For it will be given, you, given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Guys, that should comfort our hearts. Understanding that when you are seeking the Lord, when you are wanting to be right where He is at, in step with Him, He will lead you and guide you no matter what situations we are in. No matter how dire the world may look, no matter what you're called upon to say and do, if you trust that God has gone before you, he will do it again. Paul is in a situation in this courtroom setting and he's looking around at all these people. And I don't know if he has something prepared in his heart or not, but when he is given time to speak, he begins to speak. And he uses this opportunity not so much to flatter the governor, but to acknowledge the governor. To pay him respect for what he is about to say. 
You see, the governor had already talked to Paul. It's been five days since Paul had gotten to Caesarea. We saw last week at the end of the chapter that, that Felix met up with him. And so I am, I'm imagining that he had already ascertained some knowledge about Paul. And it is quite possible that he had no reason to question Paul and to make a judgment against Paul. I truly believe that at this point, Felix knows what's kind of going on. And how they've brought, they, he's called for them to come, and they brought Tertullus with them going, eh, little snake. If you're a lawyer, don't take that personal. <laughs> little snake. They brought this guy. Paul, as he begins to speak, he acknowledges the governor. And he says in verse 12, And they found neither me in the temple disputing with anyone or inciting a crowd, neither in the synagogue or the city. Nowhere was there ever a, a, a situation where I caused any of this. So he allows Paul to make his defense. And the first charge, he says, this council that's sitting before you, judge, right now, they never found anything on me. Not in the temple, not in the synagogues, nor in the city. You see, I, I shared with you, I think it was last week, the week before, that, that the Roman government take, took very good records of all the stuff that went on. That's why we have history like that find out a lot of these things. Even though we have biblical history, there's a lot of just regular history that we can look back on and who was in charge when and what. The temple itself would have had records of anything, especially disputes and, and, and inciting any kind of violence. They would have records of all of that's going, that's going on. And so Paul understands this. He knows this. He says, they have no proof of anything. They can't prove any of these accusations that they are bringing against me. They can't produce a thing. It would, be, it would have been contrary if they, these things, if they tried to bring any, any more proof above any of this to get down into the weeds, there would not have been proof at all. It would have been on the contrary. The record would have shown that it would have been these Asian Jews that started something back in the, a few days earlier. They were fresh, all of that. Now, if you remember, when, when, when I was bringing up this situation when Paul first got to, to Jerusalem, I told you it was kind of odd that Paul would allow himself to get involved in this whole purification thing. It's like Paul's not even, you know, he's, he's, he's been a Christian for 25 years now. Why is he still doing some of these things going along with the Jewish religion in the temple? Now we see why. <laughs> now we can understand God was allowing him to be a part of all of this, even though it was customary, even though it was tradition, even though it was ritual, Paul was not afraid to be involved in that. And it's now being served for his purpose. And he, he brings that up to them. The only reason I was there was to worship. 
I, I had brought money for my nation. Now, he doesn't say, I brought it for the church of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say that part. Being wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. I brought it to my peeps, man. They were still Jews. He brought it, I, I brought it for these guys who needed the help. And the only time they saw me in there is because what? I was being purified. They would have record of that. Paul, Paul paid for them to be purified, right? If you remember that. All of these things, everything was on record. And so now that he's standing before them going, that's why you allowed me to do all that, Lord. Again, sometimes it's not until after the fact you realize it's like, that's why I did that. Because I wouldn't have done it normally. But now I get it. Now, again, normally, it seems like Paul's always causing a riot. But he wasn't the one that caused the riots. It was the Jews in every place he went that had the issues with Paul. It wasn't today. Not today, Satan. Not today. And so once again, we see Paul using the wisdom of God as he refers to this so-called sect. No, it's not a sect. Again, the, the way was just an offshoot of Judaism. And it was very close tied, but they weren't considered a sect. Now, you and I might go, come on, now you're kind of skirting all of that. But this is the wisdom that is being used. Paul is using this wisdom. He says, Matt, the only reason I was there is to worship the God of our Father. Referring to the way, of which Felix was familiar with, as we saw just a while ago. He says, after many years, in verse 17, it had been quite a while since I had been in Jerusalem, but I came to Jerusalem to bring these alms to these people. And how is it that those Asian Jews who started this whole thing, are not here to testify. They were great at stirring up the crowd, but they weren't great at producing facts here. <laughs> and then he turns to the council. And he says, or else, let those who are here. I've stood before them. Not many days ago, I stood before them. And in that council... They found no wrongdoing in me. And you could, you could imagine these guys just dying inside, going, dang it. He played us back then. He's playing us once again because, again, he brought up the whole resurrection. And, man, he knew these guys are going to have to side with me again because they're not going to go against what they believe. Dang, Paul, you're so good, man. He's better than Tutulus here. <laughs> All of these guys, man, we're short on producing facts. Let these guys see and tell you if they found any wrongdoing. I could almost imagine there was a moment of pause for effect. No? Got it. <laughs> Let me move on, judge. <laughs> They're all dying inside. You, you see, at that point, at that, especially that moment of effect, that he looked over at the high priest, would have been a great time for say. Hey, Ananias, remember that time you slapped me in the face? 
You're not supposed to do that to a Roman citizen. But he doesn't do that. See, he's a lot nicer than I would have because I might have brought that up. I might have brought that up just to dig it. Lo- no, no, I dropped the charges against him. But just on the record, right? When Felix, <laughs> but Felix in verse 22, had heard these things, having a more accurate knowledge of the way. Paul, resting his case, Felix says, I know something you don't know. I have a more accurate knowledge of the way. And you can almost see these guys just dying inside. And with that, he adjourns the proceedings. How stunned must these guys have been? Tortullus, as as amazing as he was, felt like nothing at this point. I could guarantee you. He knew, we're done, guys. We're done. They were stunned. Especially when he says, you know what? We're going to wait for the commander to get here. And I could almost guarantee you, he never even subpoenaed this guy to come. And so he commanded the centurion, those who were taking care of Paul, to let him have all the liberties that he needed and told him not to forbid his friends for providing for him and to visit him. Now, as, as amazing as that sounds, Paul is still in custody here. It might be very minimal security, but he's still in custody. The unfortunate thing is that he will be like that for the next two years. It doesn't tell us anything that happened within those two years, but I could guarantee you Paul did not just sit in the house pouting. Even though there was a great victory, even though it seemed like the Holy Spirit was working in him and through him, the Apostle Paul has two years of just sitting here and we, in the text here, hear nothing about it. And it just kind of goes to show us, and as I was thinking about this, like our lives are not always that exciting, are they? Oh, God can use us in the, in the smallest things that we're going to see that, 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 that Felix has been bringing, in, bring him, bringing him in and he's witnessing to him. And I can imagine that the guards that are overseeing Paul and there had to be four of them in one day, every six hours they were, they were you know, changing guards. Dude, they all were getting saved. I could guarantee you that. Paul was not just there going, oh, I hate this life. I hate my life. Why has God allowed this to happen? He knew what was going on. He didn't know how long it would take. But this is what happens sometimes. Our trials just kind of go on and on and on. And yet, has God left Paul? Not at all. He still has hope in him. At the end here, as we close up, it says, And after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Meanwhile, he had hoped, he also hoped, 
that money would be given him by Paul that he might release him. Therefore, he sent to him more often and conversed with him. Verse 27. But after two years, Porcius, Festus preceded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. Felix must have gone away for a little bit. He came back with his wife. And it says that he spoke to Paul concerning the faith in Christ. Again, we don't hear all the stories. We don't have all the little details about what happened. But it does say that they reasoned. And that word reason in the Greek is dialogame, dialogame, where we get our word dialogue from. And it means to say thoroughly, i.e. discuss, in argument or exhortation, dispute, preach, preach upon, reason, reason with, speak. So this is what's going on in that two-year period. He is dialoguing with him. And he, he shared with him about righteousness, self-control, and judgment. I'm sure <laughs> that Felix felt the conviction that was being shared here with him about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. You see, he should have felt conviction because his marriage to Drusilla was his third marriage. And he had to break up another marriage just to get her. In his regime, it was marked with injustices against the righteousness of God. And so it also tells us that he was a man that lacked self-control. The Amplified puts it like this. Felix became alarmed and terrified and said, Go away for the present. When I have a convenient opportunity, I will send for you. The scripture that popped to mind from 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says, For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Felix was now accountable for what he had heard. But it wasn't up to Paul to save him. It was up to Paul to share with him. And the Holy Spirit was going to do the work. And if this guy refused, again, that's on him. It wasn't on Paul. Paul did what he was supposed to do. Meanwhile, Felix hoped <laughs> to get money, to, get to, 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 to let him go. That's what his hope was in. There was this, this greediness about him to get this bribe. But his hope was never fulfilled. This deception, this greediness, his pride kept him from truly knowing God for eternity, which is, which is really sad. And after two years, after placating the Jews, Felix left Paul in prison, knowing all the while that he was innocent. Felix eventually lost his position, but Paul would be handed over to another ruler. But do not despair. <laughs> God is still on the throne. God was still with Paul. Paul's hope, I could guarantee you, was still unshaken. 
He knew what God had told him, and that never changed. Paul would stand firm. Brothers and sisters, stand firm. Don't be moved. Don't be shaken. This whole world can fall apart. Again, I've shared with you time and time again, we read the end of the story. We still win. The church still wins. It doesn't matter what happens. We will continue to move forward and take ground for the kingdom. That's what we're supposed to do. It doesn't matter what circles around us. God sits on the throne. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, we bless you. We thank you. We honor you, Lord. Father, and just reading what we've been able to read, Lord God, this portion of Scripture. Lord, you remind us time and time again, whether things go our way or whether they don't, Lord. Lord, you give us wisdom. You've given us your spirit to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, Lord. And I pray for understanding. As we continue to traverse in this world, in the things that are before us, Lord God, the things that are surrounding us, I pray for wisdom. I pray that, Lord, we would be read up and prayed up to, to face the challenges, Lord, that you allow us to be put into. And, Lord, we want to stand firm, Lord, not in arrogance, never, but in confidence, having the hope that you've already spoken to us, Lord. Go before us, I pray. If there's anyone here, Lord God, who does not know you, that is so far away from you, that even just reading this portion of Scripture has given them a glimmer of hope that you're willing to work in their lives like you've worked in other people's lives. And I pray for your salvation to fall upon them, Lord. I know you're able to speak in such a powerful way that I can't even do it justice, Lord. And I pray that you would do that work. And so we look to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity to meet together as brothers and sisters. Go with us now, I pray, Lord. And whatever you have for us, let us be open. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this last song. I love you guys. Hang in there. Continue to pray.